Off the ball, with thanks to Ford. This season, we're not playing by the rules. We're exceeding expectations. Now as standard. Ford, go further. All right, you're very welcome. A good evening to you. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Off the Ball this Friday evening. Very welcome to Studio Brian O'Driscoll. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Good to be back. Um, it's too late to say Happy New Year, but Happy New Year. Yeah, likewise. The rain is pissing down in Galway in the sports ground and uh, in the outbreak you were there. Yeah, I wonder why teams haven't been able to win there this year. What's it like to go there when the wind is howling and the rain is beating down on you? Super tough. Um, I think in any year the last, I don't know, 12, 15 that, that I've been there. Now, granted, I didn't play there every year. Um, but um, it was always, more often than not, it was horrible uh, conditions, particularly evening games and... They just have um, an ability, particularly for the Derby games, you know, to really give it that, that extra little bit. And I suppose like like all underdog teams, when if you get a little bit ahead of the opposition, the crowd really gets behind you and yeah. inspires you. So they kind of tend to do that. To do that, but this is a slightly different kind of team these days. Yeah, Pat Lamb said it. Uh, you know, I think I think it sounded like he said we've got the worst ground in the tournament. And I was thinking they should be careful what they wish for because. They wanted to turn it into a fortress, and the fans are right there. That's the big thing about they're saying about Newcastle in the in the uh, in the Premiership in in England is they've gone to this three or four G pitch, and you know for, for, so teams can go and play now. Yeah. Whereas what was on their side was this horrible Friday nights up in Newcastle. The team didn't want to go up and play there, so you know, be, yeah, like you say, be careful what you wish for. At, at the same time, I wouldn't disrespect Connacht in saying that they are playing a decent brand of rugby that sure. isn't. Um, Solely uh, advantageous to to, um, to terrible conditions. I think no. they are they are trying to play ball. They're they're trying to you know score tries. They're trying to go through phases. So and they've got really good ball players. So it doesn't suit them to be playing in this weather. But I I kind of meant that if say they build a twelve thousand all seater, very comfortable stadium with sides all round, and then the atmosphere isn't quite the same, and the fans aren't quite on the like. Tomond is surely not as intimidating place now as it was in the old days. No, I'd agree with you. Yeah, it's not. Um, but then, at the same time, it's the it's what it's what the team makes of the stadium too, and the Munster team at the moment isn't quite the same team as the Tom, as the as the Munster team in the mid noughties. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I would say about about Connacht and where they're probably differing this year too is that they've always been able to get up for they were always able to get up for derby games, and that's where the probably annoyance lay with other provinces oh, is yes, that they could true. always get up for the game <laughs> against us every week and, then, and, then, yeah. and then lose to Dragons away so um, yeah it'll, they, they haven't lost there this season and um, and if they can continue if they, if they go un, unbeaten at, uh, in the sports ground for the season you, you would have to imagine they're going to be finishing in the top six yeah they? and once they do that they're into the Champions Cup and it's the whole thing the bandwagon effect kicks in and all the rest of the fans who are a little bit kind of they start to wonder what's going on why is the atmosphere so special and they keep showing up yeah definitely it's, it, listen you you know like it, like what happened in Leinster um, there weren't always 23,000 people coming to games there were 23 people coming to games well maybe not 230 people coming to games uh, back in the late 90s and then with a little bit of success and when you're trying to play a good brand as well and people are entertained uh, on evenings like that when you're still able to play play ball and your skill level's higher people are you know people want to go, get behind you and want to support you and it has a great knock on effect we, we were talking about that during the week do you think there's a danger of you know all the bandwagon Leinster fans kind of fade, some of them fading away you know if results don't keep going well there's yeah, yeah I, you know the, the people that are having have been having the cut off um, 
Matt O'Connor and stuff. There's a you can tell there's a little bit of that. There's like, oh, why aren't we seeing the magical stuff that we've seen for the last three or four years? Yeah. You don't, you can't get that indefinitely. That that's not the way the game works. Teams go through cycles. Th- teams go through peaks and troughs. So you know the proper supporter does. Bandwagoners don't want to know about troughs. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> we didn't they sign don't. up for these troughs. Here, one thing we wanted to talk to you about, we had Pat Lamb on the show during the week and uh, he was talking about building the culture and making sure that the, the players are connected to the fans. And he talked about the handshake that they do, this five-part uh, handshake, one part for each county of Connacht. Uh, Joe, who was doing the interview, compared it to the handshake that Joe Schmidt would have had with the, the Leinster boys. Yeah, um, yeah, I suppose it's... I, I loved, first of all, I loved the idea of the handshake. And in, in Leinster, it wasn't only a handshake. It could be a slap in the arse. It could be um, a high five. You know, it could be fist bump, whatever you want. So yeah. lads had their own things. Who were the fist bumpers? I did, I did meatheads. Um, <laughs> so um, so the, the, I like, I suppose, <laughs> in theory, it's a nice idea, the, the five county handshake. Terrible um, idea, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> But I do remember, I remember one of the Leinster boys was down, was on Grafton Street uh, with one of the Connacht, one of the ex-Leinster lads that was playing with Connacht and he saw one of his Connacht teammates walking up towards him and you could kind of see this look in their face like, oh no, you're, you're not, you're not going to do it, are you? You're not going <laughs> to do it. And so one of them committed to it, so he had to follow through on it and obviously the, the Leinster lad started breaking his, his whole laughing um, at what was going, what he'd just seen and so he pried a little bit more and found out that it was the five problems thing but you know if, if it gets them going and it ties them together what, what what's really great about it is it's um, engaging with everyone that's what the idea of, of a handshake every day is to yeah. engage to make sure that guys you ordinarily mightn't talk to you do go and say, how's it going? And, and maybe somebody you punched the head off in training the day before, you kind of have to go and say hello. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the important stuff. And to be able to kind of go shelve that, whatever happened yesterday is, you know, this is the greater good. And yeah. let's, uh, let's be homies. We've got uh, Johnny Sexton on the line. Johnny, good evening to you. Hi, how are you? Good. Do they do the whole handshake thing in, in France as well? Is, there, is it a bit... France obviously has this culture of um, being a bit more touchy-feely when it comes to this kind of thing? Um, well, that's where Joe Joe brought it from, I think, was um, was over in Claremont. So, yeah, it's a big thing in the French culture is to greet everybody in the room. Um, it doesn't matter who you are or, you know, what room you've entered, you're, you're expected to greet everyone and that can vary from a handshake to, you know, the French style, two kisses on the cheek. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big French thing. The question, Johnny, that everyone wants to know, does Raj get two kisses? <laughs> not for me, anyway. <laughs> uh, he, there's, uh, no, I don't. Uh, if it, if you do a cool, it's, it's not uh, two kisses. It's kind of just two touches of either side of the head. But um, we don't do that either, by the way. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I only do that with one fella, and that's the groundskeeper, who uh, I've got to know really well from, you know, opening up the pitch on you know uh, for my extra kicking sessions and stuff like that so I've become good friends with him um, so we do that and is it actually helpful when say for example you've been screaming at somebody the day before in training that you do have to go and, and talk to them the next day and say oh, hello 
Yeah, it was probably more helpful when I was at Leinster. It wasn't, uh, you know, in France, they don't really understand what I'm saying anyway, so I don't really have to make up with anyone over here. Um, no, but it is. It, it is. It's a great kind of... Uh, it's a great thing to do. I think it, even it brings guys together, guys that you normally wouldn't talk to too much. You have to greet in the morning and, you know, you build up, or almost build up a relationship with them through that. And... Um, uh, I think it's a really good thing and uh, it's something that we, we've tried to do with Ireland as well. It hasn't taken off as, as you probably would have liked, um, but it's uh, still a great thing, I think. And Johnny, what about guys like um, that you're in competition with, like obviously Goosen this year, um, Wozniacki last year, um, you know, is, <laughs> is, it, uh, you know, is it as normal with those guys or is it because you know you're meant to do this? That you know, for everyone else's sake, that we're gonna shake hands and every, appear that everyone's cool. Oh, we've got a fantastic relationship. Seriously, it's it's strange over here. To be honest, it's um, the the competition is not. You know, with, with Leinster used to be serious competition in the squad, and you know, big rivalries within the squad. Over here, because the squads are so big and the least season is so so long, that you know, it's not really. You're kind of all you know fighting for the same cause, and you know you're going to get rotated. Um, you know, so there's not that real intense rivalry amongst uh, you know players, but uh, you know I get on really well with young Goose, and he's obviously a young, young guy from South Africa who's come over, and um, you know he probably struggled communication-wise, um, not being able to speak good English probably didn't help either, um, and he uh, you know Afrikaans was his first language, so he uh, struggled a bit communication-wise at the start, and you know myself and Raj helped him along and. Uh, He's developing into a really good player. I think I hopefully will see him at the at the World Cup with South Africa. How are you getting on? What's what's your recovery like? Yeah, I'm feeling a lot better now. Thanks. Um, you know, I'm well. This is week seven of of the twelve weeks I've been told to take, and uh, you know, I've been feeling better every week. I've been you know training harder every week and with less symptoms, which has been great and exactly what the doctor wanted. And it's around this week that he told me, you know, I'll be feeling perfect and uh, I'll be mad keen to get back into it, which I am. And he told me this is when I have to be patient. And, you know, it's probably not one of my best traits. And uh, already I'm itching to get back involved, um, you know, in, in the big games coming up in Europe with wrestling, which is not going to be possible. And uh, obviously then, you know, leading into Six Nations, I'll be mad keen to get back in. But I have to take the 12 weeks and, um, you know, just uh, take take the it feels like punishment but I know it's you know for my own good but um, you know, that's the way it's going to be at the moment yeah so I was going to say to both of you you get a concussion and you're told don't do anything normally when you get injured or you're coming back from injury you do as much rehab as you can it must be very frustrating yeah it is thankfully from my own point of view um, I only ever had once had symptoms the, uh, you know, a couple of days after having a concussion uh, it was the third test in the Lions in 2009 I was immediately ruled out of that that game so um so I went home that week. I didn't even hang around. I, I I went home. So that was the only time that I had an adverse reaction to to getting a bang in the head. So I, I'm not really best equipped. I suppose Johnny's in a different situation where he had those effects, and, he, and there was nothing to come back to for a period of and, time. After and that. Exactly. And I had you know two and a half months uh, yeah. to train before I was going to be taking contact again. So it, it wasn't really relevant. Yeah, a, a bit of a killer, I suspect, Johnny. Yeah, well, like even though the symptoms weren't that bad I think it was just the number of concussions that I've that I've built up since the since the French game at the end of the Six Nations last year um, when I got a bad hit from Bastereau. Um 
you know, I think it was just a worry. They just wanted to break the cycle more so than how severe my symptoms were. My symptoms weren't that severe. It was like I had did have mild symptoms, you know, a couple of weeks after, uh, which wasn't obviously very encouraging. But um, it was just trying to break that cycle, make sure for my own, you know, care and health and, and make sure that it doesn't become an issue going forward. Because, you know, if the doctor had let me play and I got another one, you know, then he would have been looking at, you know, telling me to take, you know, five or six months off. And then that's not ideal for anybody. So, you know, it's a case of putting it to bed now and uh, making sure I come back 100%. Uh, and I feel like I'm there already, which is the frustrating part of it. Will we see you in a scrum cap in uh, in February? <laughs> uh, I actually tried one um, at the start of the season, but the slagging was too intense <laughs> in, at the start of training. And, you know, that was I could only understand half of the slagging that was coming my way from the French boys. So, um, yeah, I don't think it'll be making an appearance. I think I don't think they're meant to be very good for concussions. I think for... You know, guys that get cut a lot above the eyes and, you know, maybe uh, get hit in the ears and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I think it protects them there, but I'm not sure it protects you from a concussion. I can't imagine it being no. particularly good for that. No. Um, when are you actually allowed to do contact again? Or, or how do they ease you back into that? Or is it like you're grand now, off you go? Yeah, well, that will hopefully be the case. And um, a few weeks when I meet the doctor, he'll just tell me, OK, you're good to go. And I'll probably uh, have to do a couple of contact sessions to be considered. I obviously, um, you know, my my return to play date at the moment is the 14th of February, which is obviously the the Ireland France game. And um, you know, obviously, if I want to be considered for that, I'd have to do some contact and training. And even then, I don't know if the coaches would consider me having not played for for 12 weeks. But I'll let them make that decision. I'll just try and come into camp in the best shape possible. And uh, you know, it's. I'll, have tried to take the positives out of it and work on, you know, a bit of working the weight room, and I've been able to still do my skills, you know, with passing and kicking, and um, you know, so I'm trying to use my time uh, to the best that I can and, and make sure I come back in the best shape possible. Just one one other question, Johnny. Do, do you reckon, from a technique point of view, that have you have you looked back on uh, on the tackles and the contacts uh, when you have taken those head injuries? Has it had anything to do with? high shots or getting hit by knees you know chopping people or has there been any kind of pattern to to the knocks or just kind of um, random really not really to be honest like I think obviously the the Bastro one I've looked at it a hundred times to figure out how I actually could tackle that fella and I don't think I've come up with the right way to you know I think you go low on him you get exactly the same result uh, as if you go high but look I think it's a little bit of luck I think um that was obviously one of them, um, the Bastro one, and then I got a, a head-on-head against Argentina where I came up out of the line and, and got someone man and ball, and, and I just got head-on-head. And then, obviously, the same in the Australia game. I, I made a tackle from one side, and Rob came in and hit him from the other side, and again, just got a head-on-head. So there was a bit of luck involved. You know, I've only... It's not like I've been suffering, you know, throughout my career. I, I've uh, had one previous to this, to this calendar year of 2014 I had one previous concussion so it's uh, a case of trying to kill the problem early and uh, make sure that it doesn't become a big issue um, where you know a doctor would have to tell me one day that I have to give up or something like that That's, that would be the nightmare scenario and I suppose the, the 12 weeks was given with a view to that not happening Given how well you're feeling is there any prospect of maybe coming back before the 14th of February or is that set in stone that you just can't do that? Uh, look, I 
like the club would obviously like to have me back for the, the two big European games coming up over the next couple of weeks and I would obviously be mad keen to play and then obviously to miss a, any game for Ireland is a massive blow um, you know it really is I missed a lot of the Six Nations a couple of years ago and um, it really does uh, you know it's what you play rugby for playing for Ireland on those big days and uh, to miss one of them is, is a you know really good in but um you know, I would like to, but unfortunately, the you know the doctor who has my best interest at heart, and also he has to um, he has to take into account his own livelihood. You know, if he passes me fit to play earlier than he should, and you know I go out and get another bang, well then he could be liable for you know whatever might come his way. So um, you know, there's lots of things to consider. Uh, I wanted to talk to both of you about JJ Hanrahan's decision. Brian, were you surprised that he decided to go and seek a new adventure at Northampton? In the end, yeah. Um, I, I presumed, uh, like some other people, uh, including myself in the past, you know, when you make it known that there's interest elsewhere, um, there's a bit of a Dutch auction that takes place <laughs> no. and eventually end up staying. I thought they were the rules. Um, uh, they certainly were. They certainly were for me. Um, so so I, I was. I was <laughs> sorry, sex though. Uh, so I, I was surprised this week when when it was announced that he was going. I presumed the three year contract that Munster were offering, um, the red jersey, and everything that that went with that yeah. was going to be enough for JJ to stay. But obviously, you know, be it monetary, be it opportunity to play at ten, uh, be it a, a change of setup. Um, you know the the carrot was too big for him to you know to turn down. Johnny, I wondered when when Felipe was ahead of you at Leinster. Was there ever a point where, at that stage when you thought about leaving Leinster? Or was there always a sense that you were going to get your opportunity to establish yourself as the ten there? No, I think uh, I would have thought about it a lot in terms of you know when you're that age, you're impatient. Um, you know, JJ would obviously see guys of his own age in, in Munster. Um, you know, breaking in. You know, I would have been in the same situation where I had to watch. You know, Rob Carney and Luke Fitzgerald and these guys, you know, break into the first team and, you know, off they went, played for Ireland. And I was still trying to find my way in just to be involved in, you know, some lower league, uh, you know, Celtic league at the time. Um, you know, it is very frustrating. And, and, and JJ obviously found himself in that situation where he feels he's good enough to, to play 10 for Munster and he's not getting uh, enough game time in his eyes. And um, he's just decided that it's best for his career to, to go and get you know, game time somewhere else and you have to admire that, you know what I mean? Um well I, I, I do anyway. He's taken on a you know, a big challenge, um, going over to a, a very good team with a very good out half and he's gonna try and um, you know, displace him over there and um, you know, good luck to him. It's obviously a big loss for Munster and um you know, you don't like to see Irish players leave the country but he obviously felt he had to and um, you wish him good luck, obviously. In '09, did you know that in 2010 you were going to get your chance? Um, not really, no. Um, well, obviously, there was there was talk of Felipe, you know, leaving and, um, you know, but you're never sure. Like Brian just said, um, a lot of the time, uh, Brian was very good at us, was creating that Dutch auction and uh, getting <laughs> getting his, his uh, contract off. I wasn't so good at us. Um, but... Um, no, I think, look, there was talk about it at the time, but I still wasn't sure if I was going to be the one that was sort of trusted to go and, and take the jersey off Felipe. You know, they could have just gone and, and taken someone else or signed someone else. So um, you're never sure. And that's one of the tough things when you're a young, a young lad is you're you're often, 
you know, not confident enough to, to ask the questions that you that you need to, to find out the answers I, to. I suppose it helps when you come in and, and win a Heineken Cup semi final and final as the uh, stand in ten. It's not a bad way to go. Well, I've got this. We're okay here. It's a decent launch pad, all right. Um, and I, I don't know. Looking back, thinking back to that time, I think it, it was it had been decided, or certainly in my head, it was decided that Felipe was gone, that this offer from Toulon was too big for him to turn down, and suppose, um, you know, when when you lose a player that we you know that had been a pivotal you know part of Leinster's um, Leinster's play over the last previous five or six years, when he's going, you kind of go okay. And then the great white hope steps up and takes his opportunity. Yeah, am I wrong? Was there not some chatter about Maketo around that point or somebody coming from Australia? That maybe it was just paper talk. Maybe you guys had never kind of... Not that I remember of. Listen, you know, <laughs> looking at Maketo now, um, you would have been licking your lips a little yeah. bit. But um, yeah, yeah. I, you're, you're probably right. There was some mention of it, but um, then... Um, your man on the on the line stepped up to the plate and the rest is history, they say. One quick text, Johnny, before we let you go. Ask Johnny, how long did it take him at Leinster for him to lose the head with Brian and shout him down at training? <laughs> Who sent in that text, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, look um, I think Brian obviously uh, mentioned it in his book and you know, I think I mentioned it a couple of times about you know, we weren't the only two added in training. I think there was uh, what made Leinster so successful over the years that uh, we were both there was the, the the amount of characters that were pretty driven to have standards uh, spot on, you know, throughout the week and, and then, you know, at the weekend as well. And often, you know, things boiled over in training and uh, myself and Brian had our, had our fair share, but it was always in the, in the best interest of the team and to make sure that we... Um, you know, turned up at the weekend and everyone was in the right frame of mind. And You know, I think at times, uh, good leaders in the team, they might sometimes do it on purpose and uh, just to, you know, spark everyone else into action or, you know, other times it needs to be done or, you know, it just happens by chance. But, um, you know, I think it's a good thing if it's if it's controlled and I was always very controlled. So the answer is about a week, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, it's varied. <laughs> Johnny, if the, if you were if you were to say there was a common denominator in all those rows, who, who would you say that was? Um, Sean O'Brien was probably <laughs> the biggest culprit, I reckon. Um, Shane Jennings would have been up there. Yourself, um, let's say those three probably. <laughs> hey, that's a big long list. That's fine. You you answered that one perfectly. Listen, Johnny, thanks so much for taking the call. Uh, it's great to hear that uh, the recovery is going so well, and best of luck with everything. Thanks very much. Johnny Sexton there giving us uh, some thoughts. Um, concussion sounds kind of scary because, like, obviously, uh, did you ever get concussed playing Gaelic? I got I got knocked out once and went to hospital that night, and that was it. Really, nothing, no more from it. But I was knocked out for a second. But I couldn't play on though. I I kind of knew I was running around, but I didn't exactly know where I was. I put my hand up and said, "Here, I need to go off." I only had one of those when I was playing um, Leinster Schools uh, down in Musgrave Park, right. and the doc came out. I just remember. Bang, and then looking up and seeing a doctor over me and asking me where I am, and I told him I was playing in Murrayfield. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you're you're <laughs> fine to keep playing on. So you always wanted we scholars um, or something. <laughs> so I played on for um, I played on for five or ten minutes, and I couldn't remember any of the calls. And I remember my out half calling plays, and I would just shouted him, "No, just give it to me, just give it to me!" And he was like motioning to the to the uh, touchline. 
get this guy off. Yeah. He doesn't, doesn't have a clue what's going on. You probably can't disguise it. Like, I, I was running around and you wouldn't really... Well, actually, it probably was obvious because, it, like, I was following my man, but I wasn't really sure of where I was. I just said, here, I need to get off here because, like, I don't know what's going on. But that was... This, I saw the video back and when I hit the ground, I was knocked out. Like, my head just banged off the ground but when I the minute I was on the ground I just walked straight I think just the impact on the ground kind of maybe woke me back up again I don't know I don't know whether it's macho nature but it, it's it, you see it in players and that's why the big the, the, the big thing is about the decision being taken away from the player is because certainly my experience is that you know no I'm fine yeah. immediately that's the that's the default I'm perfect well you you didn't actually just say perfect there you said mm, perfect <laughs> So um, it's that that's been the the big thing now, and um, where player is always going to want to stay part of it and not decide. Sorry, um, Colin, but not decide to take himself off the off the field. They're going to want to hang in there, you know. Yeah, and tough it out. Yeah, it? just not macho enough. And do you realize a couple of minutes afterwards, going, "Oh, that wasn't necessarily the best decision I've ever made"? Or are you thinking, "That's fine. I'm fine. I'm still fine." Do you come out of it? Mixture. A mixture sometimes. Like, I got one against New Zealand, the, the game, the almost game, and I went into the dressing room afterwards and I asked for some tomato ketchup. Right. And I, I don't have any recollection of obviously doing that. I didn't have, like, a hot dog or anything. You didn't pass the protocol. <laughs> uh, no, no, I wasn't allowed back in the pitch. I couldn't believe it. But <laughs> <laughs> weirdos. But that's what I was thinking, because when I was sitting on the bench for the second half, I felt fine. I went, why am I, like, what, what am I doing sitting here? There's absolutely nothing wrong with me now. So, like, the haze, go, the haze mm, goes yeah, after a while. Yeah, it's yeah. just maybe getting over five, ten minutes. And do they get worse and worse the more often it happens or is it actually, they're all completely separate? Yeah, they're all very different. I think it depends on the level of impact and obviously what part of your head, yeah. you know, strikes. And notwithstanding the macho stuff, do you ever get frightened that this could do some long-term damage? No. Don't think about it. Right. There's nothing to be gained from it. I'd be, I'd be hopeful that, um, I'd like to think I still have the same... Um, the same memory that I had, um, you know, fifteen years ago. Yeah, uh, I kind of mean like the week after type thing, as opposed to now, because you seem fine now. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think you have to. It's changed now. It's different now, and all the protocol is very, is vastly different than it was. Yeah, but I, I I never went back playing feeling woozy. I never went back training. I was lucky that the impacts that I did get or the concussions that mightn't have been considered concussions. I, I got, you know, I had birdies going around my head a few times out in the pitch and I played on, but I, I never had, I never got sick after after yeah. concussion. I never got dizziness. I never, um, I, I never felt nauseous. So um, I was lucky in that when I did return to play, I always and there was felt no, 100% again. So there was no fear associated with that? Though. No, so the knock-on effect to now is that, uh, yeah, it wasn't a case of what you see with American footballers in the past where they were playing concussion on concussion on concussion and being drugged up to pretend so they weren't, pre- yeah. pretend to their bodies yeah. that they're fine. And you, you, you even see that, uh, I know you asked Johnny about the, the cap, like American footballers get concussions even with the helmets on. You the know, helmets like, actually make the contact worse. 
Do they? And because it's, it means that what you're getting hit by isn't just a human head or a human fist or a human knee. It's a hard yeah. lump of metal. So, so like hats for backs in rugby are pointless. Oh, absolutely pointless. It, um, yeah, tests have shown that they do absolutely nothing. I just wanted to see what Sexton was going to say about <laughs> his tiny little pea head being in, uh, in, uh, in a scrum. And he cap. tried one as well. Yeah, that was <laughs> a nice bit of information. <laughs> That's the most important thing that I took from our interview with Johnny Sexton. Five three one zero six is our text number. We've had a lot of texts and tweets. We're going to get to those after these. Off the ball with thanks to Ford. With the arrival of the brand new 151 Ford range, a transfer is definitely on the cards. Ford, go further. Loads of people texting in to say, Ask Brian how Paul O'Connell's knee felt against England. He did well to get up after that one. Jay and Limerick. I had a stumble. I didn't. It wasn't a straight up onto the feet. No, there was a wobble. I remember Stephen Ferris shouting at the referee as I had a speed wobble. And the ref was like, What? It's like, your, your man looks drunk. <laughs> Thanks so for no, pointing I that didn't, out. I didn't, uh, I didn't manage to, thankfully, play on after that one. Uh, Tony and Carlo, hey Brian, what do you make of this Conan fella? Man yeah, of the match last week. really, really good player. Really good player. He's been one of the ones to, um, that has been earmarked in the, in the academy for, for a while. Um, really good attitude, works hard, um, just goes about his business and um, you know, has, has a nice skill set and a fair bit of size too Is there something about Ireland that we produce really good flankers that we could have We always have very very competitive back rows we do Yeah Like no matter what what sort of um, shape the team is in it always seems to be um, a very very good back row so yeah I, I don't know um, but yeah, there's there does seem to be there an embarrassment of riches even do you know what I, I have to say that that back row that finished at the weekend in, the, in this team with Jordy Murphy and even Josh van der Flyer, who I thought played really well when he came on, um, who's a young guy, yeah. a very different sort of seven, you know, a real groundhog. So, yeah. The he, 20, 21 and 22 were the ages, that somebody said. That's all. Yeah, so the future's not bad for them. Um, a lot of people asking about 13 and, and Luke Fitzgerald's performance. I think Trevor said, uh, Trevor Hogan on Monday night was saying, Luke Fitzgerald's Ireland's number 13 at the moment and Robbie Henshaw's got a lot to do to get him out of there so I don't know if it's as definitive as that but he's uh, he's been he's back his form is good yeah, everyone everyone has Robbie um, has Robbie Dan as, as Ireland's 13 like let's remember that Robbie played 12 in, played the, really well. in the South African game and Jared didn't you know Robbie reverted to 13 I would imagine without getting inside Joe Schmidt's head and and Talking on his behalf, I would say. Should go that, on ahead. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say that the same centre pairing from the South African game was going to play in the Australian game. Only Jared got injured. Yeah. So Robbie has the ability now to interchange between uh, twelve and thirteen. And um, obviously now Luke coming back, showing a bit of form. I think he probably needs another uh, a run of games at thirteen to um, obviously get his match fitness up, but also to impress. And they have to be European games, which are obviously considerably closer to international standard than, than, the, than the Pro 12. You'd expect he'll get them now. But yeah, I, he's, he's not playing this weekend, um, I believe. I think it was then. I think it was something might happen at training. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But okay. um, yeah, so you'd be hopeful that if, if, if he's okay to play in the, in the last two games, but yeah, that, that he'll be picked at 13. But then I suppose it depends as well. Ben Teo's back playing for Lens this weekend. Darius has switched to 13, so... There's yeah, no, still ben Teo is playing 13. Ben, could, you know, if he goes well, I, don't, I really don't know. I, um, but the way, the way Trevor... It could be a number of different combinations. The way Trevor spoke about Luke, it was like, this is 
without question, ability-wise, if Luke gets back, that there's no question he's 13 and Henshaw has to go 12 and that's it. He Don't get me wrong, Lukey is a phenomenal footballer. He really is. When he's fit he, and, and playing well, he is one of those guys that gets down on the team sheet pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and I remember back in Joe's tenure as Leinster coach, Lukey was very regularly on his team and um, Luke, had, Luke had had kind of particularly in his last in the Heineken Cup in 2012 when we beat Ulster in, in the final yeah. Luke and Ferg had been vying for a wing position but nearly always um, Joe had gone with Luke like he's he's an ex-Lions winger he's yeah. he's definitely got that, that X factor he just needs to be able to get fit and get on a pitch um, and, they get a, and like I said get a run of games he's yeah. not even on the bench that must be a, an injury issue then as well. Um, the other thing that we wanted to talk to you about was Lancers return to form in that second half against Ulster. They were excellent. Mm. I thought they were good in the, in the first half too, the bit of ball they had. I know the possession was quite quite high in Ulster's favour and yeah. the defence was a little bit porous at times, but their scramble was very good. But I think from an attacking point of view, it was, it was night and day compared to where they'd been at in, in previous weeks. Why? Um, deception. Deception. Um, rather than um, like you think about launch plays off line out and off scrum that's one play now very rarely are teams broken off launch play these days so you get into multi-phase which is trying to get from phases 2 to 10 so either get a line break draw a penalty out of the opposition or score a try yeah. so in that case you're you're building to try and get backs together so you can't do that you can't get backs together on every phase so Phase one might be backs attack together and then two, phases two and three will be forwards trying to get around the corner or um, do a power play of some sort and then the backs try and reload together to get four or five of them together. So um, on phases two and three, Leinster were so much more effective rather than offering just one-up runners that are easy to read off the line. They were you know, had tip-ons, um, had little uh, plays out the back um, to 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 Madigan, they just they they've they've had much more variety to the game, and so it softened the defence up an awful lot more and got over the gain line that many more times. And I think they had to do that as well. They have to become a smarter player when they're losing when they've lost their firepower of guys being able to create holes out of nothing in Shawnee and 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 Keane Healy. That's just going to take time. The time seems to have passed, and now they're able to do it. Is that just? The, I, I couldn't understand why it hadn't. Been Happened there, before now. Yeah, yeah, because last year, having been involved in the setup, there was lots of that stuff. It's there. It's in the play sheet. So I'm sure, um, you know, I haven't. I'm not privy to Leo Cullen and, and and Matt's coaching techniques this year, but I'm sure they've been talking about similar stuff that was there last year. So I don't know whether the onus, what you know, was on the players to get themselves in a position to to do those tip-ons, to have those little interplay. Um, Moments where they get together in twos and threes and just make it easier for themselves to get a soft shoulder rather than one guy running to the line and you know the defensive line coming off, identifying who's going to be the ball carrier and annihilating them. Yeah. And the knock-on effect of that is no momentum and then eventually you have to kick it when you lose five or ten metres. And when you're kicking it on the opposition's terms, that's when you're in trouble. Yeah. You've got to kick on your terms. It's very hard to get grass cover um, 
or to, to hit grass with a kick when you're kicking on the opposition's terms. Yeah, because you're on your back foot. Exactly, Literally. exactly. Inve- invariably, you've got to throw it up in the air. There was a bang of um, turning points. Now, obviously, all the Leinster fans are desperately hoping that it's a turning point, but it had that sense of consistency. And even with the, the weakened back row, or the ostensibly weakened back row, which wasn't weakened at all, it had the bang of, well, okay, actually, they know exactly what they're doing. Everybody's playing here. This Leinster fan definitely felt as though it was significantly better than the previous six, seven performances that I'd seen. I'd seen a lot more of the creativity that we all, that I know is there. Yeah. I know is in the coaching ticket, that the smarts that they use, um, um, the idea of that, that level of deception. Um, so, it, you know, it was a relief to realise that it hasn't left the team completely, that it is still there and that they can grow on that too. And I suppose this weekend in, in, in Cardiff, uh, an opportunity to get better at that because there's lots more you can you, they they only they can't re- rely on what they've just done last weekend they've got to grow that little bit, that deception a little bit more yeah now is exactly the right time of the season you want to be doing that because the big games coming up over the next couple of weeks are going to define everything and, and particularly you look at you know whatever about Quinn or sorry yeah, whatever about Cast um, you'd be hopeful that they'll be able to you know, pick up a win um, with a God knows what Cast team they're going to send over yeah. but looking at the size of the Wasp pack they have to outthink them they can't think about outmuscling them the Leinster don't have that size at the moment they don't have those enforcers that they've relied on in the past so they have to have the smarts to be able to outthink and outplay Wasps and try and create uh, holes and create soft shoulders by doing that Edinburgh scored an early try against Connacht and leads 7-0 19 minutes gone in the sports ground so um, hopefully that's not going to be the story this evening uh, I think I've time for one final text can you ask Brian about a backswing of Ireland that set up in the Italy game the year we lost out in the title to France with their late try against Scotland all the backs were in a line like a bus queue but we made a balls of the line out and it was never run again um, yeah we've done that a few times off, off scrums as well it's um, yeah I don't know, maybe it's it's probably, it looks like it's going to be something elaborate. That's the whole idea is about trying to show something that it it's not going to be in the end. Yeah. And so a lot of those plays that sh- that set up really weird, it's just a really simple one-pass pa- one play. So the opposition looks kind of dumbfounded <laughs> by it and then it's the simplest play. So maybe I can't specifically remember that one because I've, I've been involved in a few of them but um, more deception though that's kind of the theory de- I, like I know th- it's easy to say deception but like it, in a in a confrontational game yeah unless you you know get the get the defence thinking that there's a, a few different options if you if you just give them one option to hit that there's only going to be one winner in that. You've got to get them thinking that there's three or four people could get this ball and therefore they have to make a decision if you pick the right pass. And that's why Johnny is so brilliant because he's able to take the ball to the line and still pick the pass having read the defence. He's like he's like your ultimate quarterback. Yeah. yeah, That's brilliant stuff. Thanks very much. Great to have you back. It is good to be back. Off the Ball. Getting inside the game. Sponsored by Ireland's favourite car brand, Ford. Go further.